0: Good morning. 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 All right, before we get started, I got a couple of announcements. Saturday, October 20, we're having the first Modern Medicine Biblical Technology and Brain Seminar, and there's a limit to 300 seats we will be advertising in the community. You have to sign up if you want to attend, and we're giving our class the first opportunity to sign up. So I've got a sign-up sheet here. I've got an outline of what the programs will be, if you'd like to review the outline. And then behind that is the sign-up sheet with your name and email address. And if you give us that, we'll put you on the list and start counting down the number of seats that are left for when we open it up to community, which we will be having some um, radio ads and other advertisements going on. We expect it to fill up very very rapidly. It will be an all-day seminar from 9 in the morning until 5 p.m., and we will have the lectures by myself and Dr. Markham, who's a cardiologist, and the lecture titles are The Balance in Healthcare by Dr. Markham. I will be doing The Developing Brain, um, The Science of Belief, uh, M- Dr. Markham will be doing prolonged exposure um, about uh, the causes of uh, disease in uh, in our society. And then I'll be doing one on depression and the aging brain. And uh, those are the lectures we'll be doing that day. And so if you'd like and you're interested, sign up and you'll have a seat reserved. So It's going to be at the Trade Center in downtown Chattanooga. And we will be making a new DVD set from that during that day as well. All right, let's begin class with prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come and study. We ask that you will join us this morning. That your spirit be upon us. May our hearts be filled with your presence and love. May we have discernment to understand your principles and methods. We pray in your holy name. Amen. We are doing lesson number 10 in the quarterly 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. And the title this week is Church Life. And when you hear the title, Church Life, what comes to mind? Potlucks. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I like that it, it keeps us fit doesn 't it okay Anything else do you think uh, do you think when you think church life are you thinking the entire worldwide body of Christ are you thinking denominations uh, churches are you thinking local congregations um, when you think church life local. Local. Yeah. local tend to tend to bring it to the local congregation okay um, when we think church life and what 's happening the life in the church maybe what's happening to your life in the church, Um, do all churches, all congregations, have the same, quote, life?
1: No.
0: No. Are all churches equally healthy? No. Can you describe a variety of experiences one might encounter in um, across the landscape of Christianity? What are the types of experiences? If you go to various congregations, what are the types of experiences you might encounter from one to the next? Any any thoughts? I was trying to just, you know, put out there the spectrum of what you might experience from one congregation to another. Yes?
1: Some are warm and inviting. and Come up and hug you and want you to sign the guest book and give you a loaf of bread and invite you to potluck. And some others you feel like you're kind of invading a closed group of, of individuals. Okay. To win your way in as an outsider.
0: Okay. I... I, I. Get that completely. Other thoughts? I was thinking that there's going to be some extremes. Uh, I was just going to throw the extremes out so we can ignore them, just get them out of the way. But you could go to a place where they're handling snakes or drinking poison. Isn't that true? Yeah. You could go to uh, white supremacist uh, and or violent groups that claim Christianity. Um, But we're going to push those aside because they're extremes. Coming more back to what you might find more commonly, more wide range... Um, if you go to different congregations, I I named, I named one group, the traditional or the high church. Do you know anybody by the high church? You know, the formalism with lots of rituals and formal setting, kind of like Catholicism, Episcopalian, um, Presbyterian, um, the, the formal high church. Um, that's one type of a setting and environment we might experience. Um, I also called one the experiential church. Um, this might be the warm church, the church which focuses on the emotional encounter. Uh, Pentecostalism, for instance, uh, may be an experiential church. Um, I named one the teaching education church, where the the primary the primary focus is to know facts, no doctrine, no Bible truths, know your Bible. Uh, then I named one the contemporary, and I'm going to get to you in just a second. You know, two more, and I'm going to get to you. Contemporary which is like the modern music and wearing jeans and that kind of thing. And the last was Unitarian, were the kind of ones I came up with. Yes?
2: I'm just wondering whether there are various possibilities between a live church and a dead church. Ah. Churches may be dead, whether churches are alive, very alive, or some are almost dead, and anything in between. What do you all think about that,
0: live or dead churches? Yes?
1: I think you have the legalistic. Church with no
0: concept of change of any kind. Ah, legalistic church, uh I'm not open to the to, to truth coming in. Okay. Um would you say that all church encounters are equally healthy to you? No. what would be practices that you would look for if you visited a church? What would you look for to give you clues to whether the church was a healthy church or not? Is this a reasonable question to ask? Okay, what would you look for in an organization to see whether there's a healthy church? Love. Love?
3: Our Savior said, they'll know you're a Christian by your diet. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not what he said. No,
0: by your love, okay? So love, warmth, openness, and, and yes? The
3: greeter at the door.
0: A greeter at the door. To have someone to welcome you.
3: We can never get a second
1: chance to that first
0: you never get a second chance to make a first impression. I like that. <laughs> That's good. Yes, Linda. I
1: look for, is the worship centered around us or God?
0: Ah, the focus of the worship. Is it is it about self or is it about God? I like that, too. I like that, too. The love aspect, uh, one, one element of that, is, is the church involved in ministry. Is it outreach programs? Is it helping in the community? Uh, is it uh, fellowshipping with, with each other? Is it, is it compassionate to, to one another? Is it accepting? Uh, how about the truth? Remember, the spirit of truth. Is the church a, a reasoning church? Is it an evidence-based church? Does it teach you to think and engage your mind? Or does it tell you that when you come to church, you have faith and you don't need to think? Just leave your brain at the door. It's the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth and love, both. And and both should be evidenced. And one of the, one of the tricks of the devil is to split. Have an organization where there's lots of love, but no thinking allowed. Have an organization where we look to the doctrines, but no emotion or love. It's just all, you know, cold, calculating facts. Um, how about leaving people free? How about the principle of freedom in a church? That we present the truth in love and we leave people free to think for themselves. We don't coerce. We don't pressure. How, how about this one? Would how women are treated in the organization be an indication of spiritual health? Uh (laughs) (laughs) If women are second-class members, devalued in some institutionally sanctioned fashion, under the umbrella of holiness, would this indicate anything? Yeah. I, do you know, do you know any organizations that would do this? I, I, I know I had a patient that came to see me struggling with lots of depression and problems. And, and she, w- she was, uh, uh, in a church organization where women were not allowed to speak in church. They couldn't ask questions. They had to wait till they got home and ask their husbands. They could hold no church office. They could not be in any type of leadership position. They were subordinate. Now, if you went to an organization like, now that, that might be an extreme or maybe not. There are other religions where women are even treated even worse. True? Yeah. So, does it have to be that extreme to be signs of, of unhealth? If church teaches God constructs that induce fear, would that be a sign of anything? Yeah. What about within the same denomination? Yeah, go ahead, Wendell.
4: Just, we've, we've asked about a church that does use truth as one of their tenets, etc., how you get to truth is truth a a listed thing where you read words and you accept those words without thinking about those words?
0: Well, I like that, Wendell.
4: Or are you? How do you arrive, arrive at that truth? Because
0: oh, I love this.
4: You know how you approach the written word.
0: Yeah, how many churches actually think they don't teach truth? Okay, okay so I think you've pointed out something excellent for us to be aware of. What method does the organization promote for the discovery and pursuit of truth? Is it, as some do, prayer until you get a warm feeling inside that, that that's what's true? Is that the way we, we find truth? Um, yes.
2: Uh, you talked about freedom. How about the freedom to disagree? Or should we all agree on everything? Or is there a freedom to say, well, I'm sorry, but I don't agree with this?
0: Exactly. Exactly. Do we allow people to have different views and still love them, uh, recognizing that we're allowed to have different views as long as we hold certain things, particularly loving each other, the principles of love, as paramount? Uh, I don't think we could work together if we held principles of selfishness paramount. We would all be watching out for number one and cutting each other's throat and undermining each other, right? Yes. Yes.
1: I was thinking a similar thing um, when you were talking about leaving people free. Sometimes churches take the approach: "We'll leave you free to leave if you don't agree with us." And rather than meeting people where they are, and and this idea of can we can we be um, able to still fellowship and strive together to to learn and learn from each other and what we what we've experienced in our study and so
0: forth. And within the same denomination, are all congregations within the denomination equally healthy, or do you find? There can be, uh, within the same denomination, some that are real healthy and some that are, you mentioned earlier, dying. Can that happen? Yeah. <clears throat> Would the picture that is taught of God have any impact on the health of the church? Yes. Monday's lesson, if you jump to Monday really quick, in the um, third paragraph it says, In contrast, Paul instructs the leaders to encourage the timid help the weak, and be patient with everyone. The timid are people who have little self-confidence or sense of worth. They are anxious and worried about many things. Such people matter to God, so leadership should encourage them. And as I looked at this, we're talking about church life, and it's talking about helping people with their church life. And I thought, does the social environment of the church encourage or discourage people? In other words, the, the the how people react and interact with each other. Is that part of it? If the social group of the church is critical, cutting, fault-finding, negative, laughing at mistakes, judgmental environment, will that encourage the timid? No. Um, Why does the church, and maybe it's just me, and if if you think I'm just making stuff up, you tell me, hey, I think that we don't really ever see those issues, but why does the church often have difficulty loving the sinner while hating the sin? Why does the church struggle to make the sinner feel welcome valued and cherished while simultaneously making it clear the sin is to be hated? Do we struggle with that ability to let you know you are loved? We, we love you. We're glad to see you. We hate sin, but we love you. Do we have a hard time making that? Why do 12-step meetings do a better job? And they do a better job at this.
1: Acceptance and love.
0: Yes, but why? Yes.
1: Well, to me, I've, I like your analogy of a hospital, because we all come to the hospital to be healed, but we're all sick. You you care about each other, you take care of each other, knowing that you're all on the same playing field. No one is better than someone else in God's eyes. You're all a bunch of sick people coming to be healed.
0: And Yes.
5: There are intensive care units, there are places that are closed off for infectious disease when that presents a danger to other inhabitants in the hospital. So.
0: Okay, and in the back? The
5: little difference that uh, changed my outlook, perspective, and heart was that understanding of the the difference between and realization that the uh, unselfish love that is the basis of God's character versus the critical element, and so many were raised in a critical, um, do what's right environment versus recognition of the true character of God, and that made all the difference.
0: Uh, all, all of you. Well said. Uh, go ahead. One more over here, and I'm gonna. I think
5: I have a really hard time distinguishing between. The behavior of an individual and the individual. Behavior does not define us, it is just a symptom, and we don't see that. Well, That person is that bad thing, and therefore, if we're going to, to uh, see sin as bad, we're seeing them as bad, too.
0: So back to the question, why is it the 12 steps do so much better than churches? And I'm going to tell you, down at the root, what we've been focusing on for quite some time here, I think it has to do with what several of you suggested and led to, how do we see God's law? The 12 steps view it as health problems. This is an illness. This is a sickness that needs to be healed. Thus, they're operating under the principle of God's construction protocols for life. Life was built this way. If you operate out of harmony with it, it's self-destructive. It's destroying. Alcoholism is destructive. It's destroying you. And we love you, and we don't want you to be destroyed. But too often, churches operate under the imposed law construct, which means violations are crimes that have to be punished. You see, under the health law construct, violations of the health laws are things that need to be healed. We want to help the smoker get free from smoking. We want to help the addict get free from their drugs. We want to help the sick person get well. But violations of the imposed law, well, the system needs to punish you. You see the difference? And I think churches often operate under an imposed law construct, and violations need to be punished. And I think that's the difference, because at church, have you ever felt like if 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 you spoke up about a problem you're struggling with, that somehow you wouldn't be treated like your doctor treats you, with acceptance and love to heal. You'd be treated with a criticism and ridicule to punish. Have you ever had that feeling? Where's that feeling come from? Satan, she says. Oh, I like that. That's true. Way in the back, yes. One of our...
1: I think that uh, in the twelve step program and in a doctor's office, you are encouraged not to go out and gossip about what you heard.
0: Ah, so because we're we care in the twelve steps, that's the thing as well. We we protect confidentiality, and we're interested in in helping people. And we know just talking about people's struggles doesn't help them. Yeah. Better known as the a Broadcasting Company. <laughs> <laughs> ABC. ABC. Okay. Yes.
2: Uh, it's true we are all equal before God. And I just thought of the image of the sheep. Uh, aren't we actually all sheep of the great herd? Jesus is a great shepherd. Yes. And he would look for the lost sheep. Yes. Some of, it may be, some of us may be lost sheep.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> all right, back to Sabbath. The memory text says, 1 Thessalonians five twenty and 21, Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to that which is good. What what principle do you hear espoused in this in this verse? There's a principle here. Think. Think. Think yes. Think. Be. How about be open? Be reasonable. Be reasonable. Yeah. Exactly. And so look to Wednesday's lesson uh, entitled "Relating to New Light," and the first paragraph says in Thessalonians 5, 12 through 15, Paul was admonishing the church. In verse 19 to 22, he brings up another form of admonition, the gift of prophecy. The two negatives with which he begins this section are um, both continuous in emphasis. Stop quenching the spirit and stop despising prophesying. He's basically telling the Thessalonians to stop something that they were doing on a consistent basis. So, what does it mean to despise prophecy? Ignore it. Ignore it? What is the gift of prophecy? Who is a prophet? Someone who just predicts the future? Messenger Uh, messenger or spokesperson for God, yes?
4: In the New Testament, prophecy is often used synonymous with preaching or the giving of God's word. So, not necessarily predictive of future events.
0: So, those spokespersons for God—they have a message from God to the people. Whether it has to do with some type of prophetic future event or just bringing truth to encourage the people would be in the Bible times a prophet of God. Okay.
1: Well, despising often comes along with I don't like what I just heard. You're telling me what I—it goes against my grain, or it's telling me I'm wrong.
0: So. How did the Jewish leadership treat the prophets in the Old Testament? How were the prophets treated by the leadership? How, was, how did the leadership treat Christ and the apostles? Um, would you consider Martin Luther a prophet, a spokesperson for God? How was he treated by church leadership? Uh, what about the other reformers? Were they spokespersons for God? How were they treated by church leadership? What about Jones and Wagner? Were they spokespersons bringing new truth to the church? How were they treated? Hmm. Yes.
2: As soon as a person speaks the truth, there will be some hostility. There will be some dissatisfaction among the other people. And that's why the prophets, especially when they heard unpopular messages like You better surrender to the Babylonians or the Assyrians, otherwise, they're going to come and destroy Jerusalem and Samaria. These messages were not
3: popular.
0: Not popular at all.
3: Truth isn't always popular.
0: Truth is not always popular. Good. Russell.
3: Or John Muhammad, or Brigham Young, or some of these other people that are considered. Joseph Smith? Joseph Smith, considered, quote, prophets, or Ellen White, considered
0: prophets. I was about to get to Ellen in just a second.
3: Also bring evidence of God's trustworthiness. I mean, a true prophet. And,
0: and where's the evidence? Is it in the signs and wonders? Or is it in the message itself? Where's the evidence? Signs and wonders? Hmm. Well, the Janus and Jambres threw down snakes, remember? She, you threw know, down staffs and turned into snakes. A serpent spoke in, in Eden. If you go home today and your dog talks to you, will that be a miracle? Yeah. Does it mean what it's saying is true? No no this is out of Zarevages 232 I like this quote regarding the idea of new light and truth coming forward it says as the light and life of men was rejected by the ecclesiastical authorities in the days of Christ so it has been rejected in every succeeding generation again and again the history of Christ's withdrawal from Judea has been repeated when the reformers preached the word of God they had no thought of separating themselves from the established church but the religious leaders would not tolerate the light and those that bore it were forced to seek out another class who were longing for the Truth In our day, few of the professed followers of the Reformation are actuated by the Spirit. Few are listening to the voice of God and ready to accept truth in whatever guise it may be presented. Often those who follow in the steps of the Reformers are forced to turn away from the churches they love in order to declare the plain teaching of the Word of God. And many times those who are seeking for light are by the same teaching obliged to leave the churches of their fathers that they may render obedience. Wow. And if you look through the history, how many times is that over and over again true? Do you think that was an accurate uh, observation of history? Or was it distorted and warped? Now, what about Ellen White? Let's ask that question. I get get emails from all over the world uh, asking uh, about Ellen White, and they say things like this. Why don't you use her name? Why do you refer to her writings as one of the founders of our church or historic Adventism? Is Ellen White a prophet? And the answer, of course, is... What difference does it make? Seriously. I I have an uncle who will not have anything to do with Ellen White's writings because he is concerned that she plagiarized, so he doesn't want to have anything to do with them. And my response to that is, so, uh, if you have a loved one dying of a particular terminal illness and a doctor wrote out a treatment that actually worked and if applied would cure all those with this particular malady, but sometime later, it was discovered and proven that the doctor had plagiarized what he had written from others. Would you then say, well, if it's plagiarized, I won't use that treatment, even though it works? Um, or would you say, I really don't care. It works. I don't care who wrote it. You see, the question is not some of these side trails we get trapped and tricked into. The question that you have to ask, not, is she a prophet, not a prophet? It's irrelevant. The question is, was was it true? Was what she wrote True. That's the question. And you need to be able to think it through for yourself, examine the evidences. And the reason why people want the yes, she was, no, she wasn't, is the people who want that answer are people who don't want to think. They want to have an authority. Well, so and so said, and if she said it, then it's true, and I don't have to think. But God has given each one of us our own individuality, our own identity, our own ability to think and reason, our own minds, and he expects us to develop those abilities. And Hebrews 5, 14 says, the mature are those who've developed by practice the ability to discern the right from the wrong. We have to engage our brains. And so in this class, I'm not here to tell anybody what to think. I am here to get you to think, to challenge you, to stimulate you so that you will turn on those God-given abilities, begin searching and reasoning for yourself, look for the evidences, come to your own conclusions, and then when somebody throws something at you, whether it's your, you know, Joseph Smith, whether it's uh, Ellen White, whether it's somebody else, whether it's Muhammad, you can look at it and go, wait a minute, these are God's methods, these are his principles, these are his testable laws, this is in harmony, this is not in harmony, this fits, this doesn't fit, and you can come to your own conclusion. Yes.
3: Guys, just um, just to come back to a verse we've already read from chapter 5, verse 21, test all things. Yeah, there you go. I mean, it's precisely what we're talking about. Check it out, test it out, ask questions, and if it's good, hang on to it, regardless of where it's coming from. Yes.
5: I couldn't agree more with that because there is a lot of truth, parts of truth, fragments of truth everywhere. In Eastern religions, some of the things that they understand about life and our interaction with life and our interaction with the earth and even Western religions, all parts of it. And if we can just look at it and say, is this consistent with the character of God? Instead of going, that is, a, is a wrong because it's all packaged in that religious system.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm talking about, oh, yes.
2: I think there's another principle we have to consider. (laughs) Jesus said, by their fruits, ye shall know them. In other words, what are their fruits? What are the results? What's the outcome of those beliefs?
0: Okay, so you're talking about testing the beliefs to see. Okay, I think that's I think that's well said, because that's that's uh, actually using your intelligence to examine what's being taught, to see how it works when it's applied in real life, and if it works, you'll find healing and restoration and graciousness and restoration of Christ-like character, blah, 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 so forth. But that doesn't mean necessarily that people practice what they preach. Okay, if you remember Balaam, he actually prophesied some truth, even though he wasn't a practicer of truth. And it didn't make it less true, because he didn't have good fruits. The truth stands on its own. That's the the, the critical point. Yes.
4: Sometimes you will not know immediately whether something is true or not. It takes time.
0: Exactly. And so let's let's say we have even spokespersons for God. People that we believe, in fact, are inspired by the Holy Spirit to bring message to the church, to the people. Because they're finite. Because they're not all-knowing. Isn't it possible that over the course of time they change what they teach? They teach something different later than they taught at one point? Yes?
2: Does this have anything to do with the
1: Scripture, to the law, and to the testimony of those speak not according to this?
0: Of course. Yes. Uh, we're not going to have the Holy Spirit inspiring people to violate God's character, His message, His principles. The...
1: where we need to study and find out the
2: truth.
0: Yeah, but you know something? Every religious group and even those that even those that misrepresent God, those who crucified Him at the cross, claimed Scripture as their reference and support for that. They claimed He was not uh, supporting Moses when He wouldn't stone the woman, uh, when He healed on Sabbath He was breaking Sabbath law. So they referenced Scripture for that very thing. So you're right; we did need to use the Scripture, but it all depends on the lens through which you look at Scripture. If you're looking at Scripture through that lens of an imposed law construct, you read it one way. If you look at Scripture through the lens of God's law of love, the principles of life, you read it another way. Yeah.
5: I think it goes back to to what you talked about, freedom and confidence and surety. I've had people tell me, whether it's about evolution and creation or other church doctrines, that if I read something... About evolution, or I read an author that believes in evolution, or I read from an atheist. I shouldn't do that because that's dangerous ground. But when you know how to think, when you have the basic construct of is it an imperial-imposed law, or is it God's way? Is it freedom? Makes
0: a think big difference. You can read anything yeah,
5: and you can go. It makes you stronger. It's the difference between meat and milk. That's what Paul was saying. You know, we need to get to the point where we don't need protected
1: writings.
0: And I like it, yes.
1: And sometimes it's who you know. I mean, some of these, like what he was saying, you know, go with the Babylonians or they're going to destroy Jerusalem. There's no real way of testing that particular thing. It's So ultimately you have to say, do I trust God? I mean, who is this saying it to me? And how are they connected with God? It's, it's who, how well you know God. And how well you know the person that's saying what they're saying. I think because Sometimes it relies on, that's the only thing that you can test with, is the, the, who that person is and how they're connected to God nope. and what you think of God. And the
0: angels use that very theory in heaven to test Lucifer. Yeah,
3: I mean... And,
0: I mean, the, so exactly. So, so your point is well taken. You're, you didn't misstate anything, but there is still danger in who you trust. Remember the young and the old prophet in the Old Testament. Not, not the old false prophet, the old true prophet who went to the young prophet and lied to him and therefore the young prophet died because he followed the advice of the old prophet who was a true prophet. Okay, so we still have to be, know for our own self God's will for our life, our conviction, our responsibility, and do what we know is right in our life, even if another person who has the Spirit of God is telling us something else. We have to be convicted. And so, for instance, I've had people say, well, the Spirit has told me you need to do this. And, and, and your answer to that is, even if you think they're a godly person, well, if the Spirit wants me to do it, I'm sure he's capable of telling me himself. doesn't need you to tell me. I'm open. I'm willing. I'm, I want to hear it. And if that's true, he'll tell me. You follow me? Yes.
3: Doesn't that change a little bit with the way in which you are Presented with that type of a, an idea, I mean, in other words, I I could suggest to you that I have been reading and been thinking along certain lines, and that I feel that this would be congruent with where you're going. Okay, and so, but if I just come up to you all of a sudden and you don't know me, and I tell you God told me this to tell you, well, you're gonna you're gonna compare that with other notes.
0: I'm gonna ask if you took your medicine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, lesson, the lesson gives
5: people admonishing each other yeah. so we can't overlook that
0: yeah. the lesson gives us three ways that they suggest that people um, uh, quench the spirit and that is ignoring the work of a true prophet misrepresenting the words of a prophet and giving prophetic authority to someone not under the influence of the Holy Spirit. These are the three ways they suggest and I also added one in closing the mind to truth which was what Russell suggested earlier I think Sunday's lesson fourth paragraph states, um, the language of these verses reflects ancient strategies for dealing with people. Um, thought leaders of Paul's day knew that dealing with people is a delicate work. They encouraged leaders to carefully diagnose the condition of their followers, be sensitive as to whether or not to the follower was open to correction, to choose the right timing, and to apply an appropriate remedy. I thought wow that's so nicely said and then at the end it says at the end of that paragraph it says uh, God is the model of leadership and the goal of the church leadership is, is a membership who lives their lives worthy of God and I thought that was so well said in so many ways I just love that um do you like the the language it chosen there I did too um and and the the idea at the end God is the model of leadership is so true we model our leadership after that which we believe God utilizes in his leadership. And so, with that in mind, it's important to hold the right right picture of God. I want you to consider the story in CNN, this is from CNN this week, and uh, be asking the question, what picture of God do you think these people are holding? This is from CNN this week. An 11-year-old Christian girl has been arrested after being accused of blasphemy by burning pages of the Koran in Pakistan's capital, Islamabad. According to a statement released by the president's office Sunday, the girl, identified as Ramsha, uh, was accused by local residents of burning pages of the Muslim holy text after she gathered paper as fueling fuel for cooking. Local media uh, reports say the girl has Down syndrome. CNN was unable to confirm these reports, and local police officials say they are not true. Kwasim Nazee, the police officer in charge of the station near where the incident took place, said the girl does not have mental disorder but is illiterate and has not attended school. The accused girl had told him that she had no idea there were pages of the Koran inside the document she burned, he added. Nazi said that 150 people had gathered on Friday where the neighborhood's Christian population lives and threatened to burn down their houses. The mob wanted to burn the girl to give her a lesson, he told CNN. <coughs> Other Christian families living in the area have fled, fearing a backlash, he added. The statement from President Asif Ali Zadari uh, said that said he has called for urgent report on the incident and added that vulnerable sections of society must be protected from any misuse of blasphemy laws. Blasphemy by anyone cannot be condoned, but no one will be allowed to misuse blasphemy law for settling personal scores, said the president spokesperson. Uh, Critics of the controversial law say it is being used to persecute religious minorities. The legislation makes it a crime punishable by death to insult Islam, the Quran, or the Prophet Muhammad. What kind of God would want his followers to treat others this way? Better question. What kind of God would need his followers to treat others this way?
3: same kind of God that needs to burn his children in hell.
0: For all eternity.
3: Exactly. To give them a lesson. To give a
0: lesson. Do the actions give any clue as to the type of God they worship? Why is their God not capable of dealing with blasphemy on his own? Is that not a reasonable question to ask? I, this always this always, just always blows my mind that when somebody blasphemies your religion, so what if they do? You, if you're like Christ, you go, Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. They think they're running you down. They think they're mocking me. But what they're actually doing is they're closing their own heart to their, own, their only remedy for their condition. They're cutting themselves off from the channel of blessing. They're ruining their own characters. They're hardening their own hearts. They're destroying their own, their own destiny. You see, we don't have to take action against people who blaspheme. If you understand the law is the law come kind of which God created life. But if, in fact, the law is just a list of rules and when you break them, the punishment must be inflicted, well, then we better go burn them down. Yes.
5: So I can imagine the response to that from a lot of people would be God acted that way at times in the Old Testament. Could it not be that their God is just at the same point as the Christian God was in the Old Testament well, and that someday he's going to take most comes to a point where they don't do that
0: anymore what you what would you all say to that first off has have have christians and jews do they have a better track record through history than what i just read no we don't so this is a human problem humanity has a problem regardless of your religion that we tend to do this what what what's what why why do we do it yes
2: there's another problem. There are many Christians today that believe that when the sinner dies, he goes to hell and will burn forever.
0: Yes. So they see God is doing it, so you know, maybe we're doing him a good thing. In the Dark Ages, the Catholic Church would burn people to stake because in their in their... I'm going to have to say twisted view. Uh, if they didn't do this, then the people would burn forever in eternity. So burning at the stake to get them to recant, or if they died, having the priest put last rites on them at their death can save them from an eternity in the flame. So they're actually mercifully only burning them for, you know, maybe 15, 20 minutes till they die instead of for all eternity. So this was a great mercy. The church did. Why? Because they held such a horrible view of God. Think about how horrible your view of God is to believe that burning someone at the stake is a mercy. Yes.
4: This goes to some degree back to the fruits um, analogy. Um, We are encouraged to participate with God in godly activities. Why? Because it helps us.
0: It changes us, doesn't it?
4: It changes us. So if the activities that we participate in, in helping God, make us more demonic, then that is not something we should participate in. If it helps us become more heavenly, it is something that we need to participate in. And yeah. so these people who are helping out God believe that they are helping out God by doing his will, and they are changing themselves They are. by doing so.
0: That's why we say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. We have compassion. We don't have to hate them for it. Yes.
4: I'm
5: sorry. I still didn't get the answer that I would give to somebody who says your God interacted with his people the same way.
0: And it depends on whose lens you look through. If you look through an imposed law construct, you read the Old Testament just like you said. If you understand it as a law of love, you read the Old Testament and realize, no, God...
5: The- could their God be doing things out of love, too? I mean, could they construct that over their actions?
0: Um, can, people can construct anything they want. It doesn't make it true. I don't think God is working in that way in this day and time and where we, where we are in the 21st century. I don't think he's doing that.
5: I don't either. But- so
0: no. I, so the answer to your question is no, God's not doing that. This is part of the grand deception. There are two antagonistic forces at work on earth, and, are, and the world is being settled into one of two methods of operating. And while God in the Old Testament had a need to act to keep open the channel for the Messiah to come, lest Satan uh, at one point in time, there's only one righteous man left on the earth, one righteous man, that's it. Satan's almost got the whole world closed down where, where nobody's going to be willing to be a vessel for Messiah to come. So God acts in mercy to keep open the, the channel. Once Christ achieves his mission, there is no reason for him to act in this way anymore. And so we don't find ourselves in a state, in the, in the history of the flow of the great controversy, where there's a need for God to behave and act, act in this way anymore. Yes? I think
4: there's a, possibly another... A way to look at that and that Islam was developed as a tool, geopolitical tool, and it worked very well. I mean Muslims almost took over the world. yeah and if you look at Catholicism in the Middle Ages, it was the same. It was a geopolitical tool
0: So it was more than just religion, it was religion politics.
3: Like God it didn't matter. it was more of a, like I say, a, a cultural thing.
0: So part of what Stalin said about the opiate of the masses being able to control people through religion, part of it's historically true. Religion has been used to control people and, and control political power. Yeah. In fact, it goes back to the Romans. The Romans used their religion to control people too. Yeah. Um, bottom of Sunday's lesson It asks this question. In some cultures, there is a tendency to distrust and challenge leadership. In others, to blindly submit to it. How has your culture's attitude toward authority impact the church in your area? And so I had some questions about how we respond to church leadership. First question is, we want to make it very clear, ultimately, who is the leader of the church? Jesus Christ. Christ. And how does God slash Jesus want us to relate to him? How does he want us to, how, what's his desire for our relationship? How does he want us to relate to him? In fear? And, and God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Um, because he, he as, as, a dictator, we follow the dictates of the, of the heavenly ruler. Is that how he wants us to relate? Love relationship. Love relationship. Free. Because we agree. Okay. Because we think, we reason. Come, let us reason together, though you're sending it like scarlet, we we're like snow. God is inviting us. He treats us freely with respect, respecting our individuality. Okay. Keep that in mind as we go through the rest of the questions. Now, How did Christ, on earth, relate to leadership of his day? Did he allow the church leadership to dictate his beliefs? Or what he taught? Or how he treated others, including women? Or how he kept the Sabbath? Or how he kept the law? Now think it through. Does God want to dictate our beliefs, what we teach, how we treat others, how we keep the law? Does God want to dictate that to us? Some would say yes. The answer is no. I remember I was at an Adventist church. My wife and I, one Sabbath morning, opening prayer, pastors doing the invocation for church service, says, Lord, we are here this morning. We humble ourselves before you. We thank you for the Sabbath. We are here today not to hear the special music, not to visit with friends, not even to hear the sermon. We are here for one reason and one reason only, because you have commanded us to be here. (laughs) This is a quote, I promise you. And at that moment, my wife and I, both our eyes popped open and we looked at each other. Really now? Okay? Is that how God wants us to relate to him? No. Absolutely not. No. God wants us to do what's right because it is right, because we freely want to, because we agree with it, because it makes so much sense, because our hearts love to do it. Not because he dictates to us and tells us to, we we have to or else. Did Christ's teachings challenge the practices that the Jewish leadership claimed were biblical? Not stoning a woman caught in adultery, healing on the Sabbath, loving enemies, these sorts of things. Did did Jesus follow the decisions of the Sanhedrin? Why not? Shouldn't he have submitted to church leadership? Do we have a problem when leadership focuses on unity rather than truth? Yes. Well, at a recent ASI meeting, with, which was like a week or two weeks ago, um, Ted Wilson, president of the General Conference, and Mark Finley, assistant of the president, were asked questions about church leadership and women's ordination. This actual interview was online. You can watch it. I did. Um, and how members should relate to church leadership. Mark Finley used the example of the meeting in Acts when, uh, oh, and by the way, I was supposed to preface this whole discussion with, this is rated PG for the mature. Parental guidance is recommended. Okay. This is for the spiritual mature, this discussion. Okay. Um, Mark Finley used the example of meeting in Acts when Paul and others came to hear uh, to the leaders in Jerusalem, asked if the church should require Gentiles to be circumcised and observe the feasts and so forth. And uh, the leaders came back with no, they just need to avoid idols and food strangled and blood. Um, Then Mark asked, um, what if the various churches of his day, of of Paul's day, would have done their own thing? It would have been chaos. Uh, And then he suggested we should follow that model and follow what the decisions of the General Conference are uh, locally. Um, Do you have any questions you would have liked to ask him at that point? Because I had several. Yes.
4: Do we have any evidence that Paul did any of that when he went out for his missionary journeys?
0: Did any of...
4: Followed through with the regulations that were given to him by the council in Jerusalem.
0: Well, I mean, he certainly didn't require people to keep the feast days, and so he was an opponent of those things, but I think he already was before he went. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Do we have a hierarchy that can impose its decisions upon church membership, world church membership, or does a member have the right to say, no on the basis of the bible i don't agree
0: i will i will that question i want to come to in ted wilson's answer let me uh to my question is mark and then you keep his question in mind because i'll tell you what ted wilson said it said um so i would have asked mark this what if the council at jerusalem determined that the gentiles should be circumcised and should observe feast days and even follow peter's advice and decide that jewish converts shouldn't associate with gentile converts should then the churches have followed the decision of leadership for the sake of unity should martin luther have gone along with the decisions of leaders of his day. No, what, what Mark failed to realize and make clear in the example from Acts was that the leadership in Jerusalem made the right decision, the decision which, noticed, note, granted the most freedom and reduced restrictions. When it comes to ordination of women, which they were discussing, in our church today, the decision is the most restrictive with the least freedom. Just the opposite principles being applied. So in Christ's day... The masses were tending to follow Christ, and Christ was drawing the masses away from church leadership. Should um, shouldn't Christ have taught the people to follow church leadership, or shouldn't the people have said, "Well, the Sanhedrin hasn't decided yet whether Jesus is telling le- uh, the truth," and they they wouldn't uh, uh, and then. And they say we shouldn 't heal people on Sabbath, so um, you know I must follow the decision of the General Conference for the sake of unity, because it is better for one man to die than the nation or church to be fractured. Should the people have answered that way in christ 's day well, general Conference president uh, said when uh, the church meets in General Conference with representatives from the entire world that the Holy Spirit leads what is happening, and when the general Conference votes an issue that It is a Holy Spirit-led decision, and thus should decide the issue, and individuals and groups should conform and no longer have their own opinions. Um, And he used any reference in Ellen White quote from three testimonies, 492, which was written in 1875, and this is what it says. I have been shown that no man's judgment should be surrendered to the judgment of any one man. But when the judgment of the general conference, which is the highest authority that God has upon the earth is exercised, private independence and private judgment must not be maintained, but be surrendered. So, so what do you think? Should we accept that? Should we continue to think? Should we investigate further? Always investigate further. Is there other evidences that were not brought to bear in this discussion, such as Ellen White, who wrote, that was 1875. Here is uh, eighteen ninety six If it were possible, the enemy would clog the wheels of progress and prevent the truths of the gospel from being circulated everywhere with this object with this object, he leads men to feel that it is their privilege to control the consciences of their fellow, uh, fellow men uh, according to their own perverted ideas. They dismiss the Holy Spirit from their councils and then, under the power and name of the general conference, they invent regulations which they which they compel men to be ruled by their own ideas and not by the Holy Spirit. There is need of an education in regard to the rights and duties of men in authority who have lorded it over God's heritage. When a man is placed in a position of trust, who knows not what kind of spirit he should exercise in dealing with human minds, he needs to learn the very first principles as to his authority over his fellow men. Right principles must be brought into the heart and wrought into the warp and woof of character. What do you think the right principles are she might be talking about here? Freedom. freedom. Respecting individuality. Truth, love, and freedom. Not coercing. You know she's describing this thing that is not of the Holy Spirit. It's when we use our power and authority over others to coerce and dictate how other people should think. This is not of the Spirit. The principle needs to be the principle of the truth. That was 1896. Here's 1898. You can find this in... Last Day Events page 50. It has been some years since I have considered the general conference as the voice of God.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and here is Last Day Events page 57. This was written shortly after the 1901 general conference. One day at noon I was writing of the work that might have been done at at the last 1901 General Conference, if the men in position of trust had followed the will and way of God, those who have had great light have not walked in the light. The meeting was closed and the break was not made. Men did not humble themselves before the Lord as they should have done, and the Holy Spirit was not imparted. So, you know, I find it somewhat disingenuous. Disingen- thank you. Disingenuous for the General Conference president to quote a quote from 1875, when there, and there's more, I didn't quote them all, when there's multiple quotes after that time where she clearly makes it the case that the, the, the General Conference is not the voice of God. I found it very disingenuous. Why would they want to do this? Why would they want to shut down thinking? Yes.
6: There are several places where the voice of God is um, given different uh, from different areas for example uh, you read you read the one quote uh with the with Wilson but we also hear about the voice of god in the bible and there are comments written about that you have the voice of god in the testimonies and spirit of prophecy and she also mentions the voice of god in duty and so you can't just take one isolated item on the voice of God and hang on to it, there are there are others. And then in Signs of the Times, and I don't know what year it was, uh, she makes this comment that as the men of Israel witnessed the corrupt course of the priests, they thought it safer for their families not to come to the appointed place of worship. Many went from Shiloh with their peace disturbed, uh, their indignation aroused until they at last determined to offer their sacrifices themselves, concluding that this would be fully as acceptable to God as to sanction in any manner the abominations practiced in the sanctuary. My point is, there's a balance. You just can't look at one, uh, one set of quotes like, let's say, Wilson was referring to. There are others, and you have to take them all into context to, to get a balanced view that provides you with that freedom.
0: Well said. Absolutely well said. The people who are ready to meet Christ when they come are so settled into the truth, both intellectually and spiritually, that they cannot be moved from it. That requires what? That you have allowed somebody else to tell you what the rules are, what the, what the, what the 28 fundamental are, that you believe because the conference has voted it, or that you have actually spent the time yourself searching the truth understanding the principles testing the principles that you are so settled you can't be shaken by somebody claiming to be a prophet from God with a different message because you you know the truth personally for yourself and this is what's required and the only way to get that is through experience that we wrestle out the truth studying it for ourselves so again this class is not here as a as a as an authority to tell anyone what to think we are here to challenge each of you to do this work for yourselves, to become thinkers, not mere reflectors of other men's thoughts, including the conference's thoughts. Yes, Linda.
1: To back you up even more, Second Thessalonians 2, starting at verse 8. And the, lawlessness, the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan, displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness.
0: So maybe, do we need to unpack that a moment? Do we need to unpack the phrase, therefore God sends them a powerful delusion? Do everybody know what that means? God works through his creation protocols, also known his, as his, his laws. Okay? And so what, the, what preceded the phrase, therefore God sends them a strong delusion, was they did not love the truth. Now, think about this on any subject matter. We go outside right now and we look up and, this, and I tell you the sky is blue. I get a, a, a wave meter that measures the wavelength of light and I actually register that and give you the nano, nanometer length of wavelength that is being refracted off of the atmosphere at this time and I give you that evidence as well. That's blue at this wavelength. Are you still free to reject it and say, I, I don't believe that? Are you still free to do that? If you do that, you reject the truth. What is the only thing left for your mind to rest upon. It doesn't matter what you pick after that. You can pick brown, you can pick gray, you can pick orange, you can pick pink, you can pick, I mean, it doesn't matter. If you reject the truth, the only thing left for your mind is a lie. It's a delusion, it's, it's a delusion that's right. And so this is not God acting with divine power from heaven to create mental illness. This is the inevitable consequence as the natural laws of God's creation work when you reject the truth, the only thing left are lies and delusion. That's what it means. Okay, yes.
2: I'd like to talk a little bit about the motivation why Dr. Mr. Wilson spoke this way. I think it has to do with unity. He talked a lot about unity. In other words, disagreements have to disappear because we've got to have unity. Yes. That's what Jesus talked about in John 17.
0: Yes. Unity versus uniformity. And Mark Finley made, it, I think, a reasonably good point when he said uniformity is, is from uniform. And you wear it on the outside. Unity happens on the inside. But what do you think the church focuses on primarily? Conformity. Uniformity. Conformity to your behavior. Do you, you know, are you out of the, out of the supermarket by sunset Friday? Yeah. Hey, what do you got on your plate? I mean, because it's easy to monitor behavior. We really can't monitor the heart, can we? We shouldn't try. It's not our job to try. Our job is to not monitor anybody's heart but our own and to love everyone else who's struggling with their problems. Yes.
5: I think we have to remember that iron sharpens iron, and it's by disagreement by people testing our thoughts and ideas, that we go back to the drawing board if we're really sincere and go, "Wait a minute! Now I need to reprocess that." That's what allows us to grow. If we're not ever challenged, we kind of start stewing in our juices.
0: Uh, absolutely, absolutely, I agree with that. In fact, ha- haven't hasn't our class grown because of some of the challenges we've been forced to study out for ourselves? I think it was, I think it was beneficial for each of us. Yeah,
1: and it's also possible to be united. In falsehood.
0: Oh, thank you. Oh, okay. Absolutely. And so
1: sometimes to gain unity in truth, there's
0: a struggle. In the past. Yeah, she said it's also possibly united in falsehood.
3: You know, the thought has come to me over and over again you know, what is what is the basis of authority? What is the basis of our leadership's authority? Okay, and, and that was spoken to directly by, by Ted. And.
0: What's your answer? What's the basis?
3: All right. My answer. <laughs> I actually raised my hand because I want to, I want to say something about Ted. I, I graduated with a guy, I, I know him and love him, and, and I don't want him to appear to be the flat Ted that we carried a picture of, you know, at our, at our class reunion. In other words, he's been sort of overrun with tradition and with, with a certain um, effort. To to bring uniformity and unity to our church from other cultures around the world, he's been so many other places where there's so many other Adventists that he's trying to coordinate with this progressive thinking that Americans seem to do, and he's he's like trying to hold the reins.
0: So, what is authoritative? There's an answer that I I believe. Authoritative. What is the source of authority? What is what what is authoritative? Truth, that's exactly right. Truth is authoritative. The truth is what the truth is. So you can reject the truth, but it still holds authority over you. God's natural laws upon which life is built to operate is true, and therefore they have authority. If you, you can reject and dis- disagree that gravity actually exists and works, when you jump off this building, it will exert its authority over you. Okay, It has authority because it's true. And all truth is authoritative along these lines. And the closer we come to the truth, the closer we come to the source of truth, which means the closer we come to God so that you will know the truth, and the truth will (laughs) set you free. Yeah, it's very, very...
3: It doesn't change with deep investigation. Exactly. It doesn't change with disagreement.
0: Exactly. The truth is a constant, if we can find it. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have, um, that you are truth, love, and you respect the freedom and individuality of your of your creatures you certainly have the power to enforce your way if that was your method and we praise praise you that it's not uh, we ask for your spirit of truth your spirit of love to give give us discernment give us wisdom give us the ability to dissect the issues and then communicate them in ways that can help free other minds that are trapped innocently and honestly in, in, a, in a system that breeds fear and fails to, to, to help them experience the reality of your, of your healing presence. We, we long to see you. We know when the message about you lightens the world that you're going to come. We pray that you open avenues and empower us to be part of that process. We pray in your holy name. Amen. <laughs>